you this, folks. Uh, Jesus Christ will never fail. All right? Mankind will fail you. I mean, uh, as much as I try, I would never on purpose fail you, but I might fail you from time to time. But Jesus Christ will never fail. And what a wonderful truth, and I appreciate that. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. We'll be in some other places, but the book of Proverbs, chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, we're going to look at uh, two verses out of Proverbs chapter 15 and then one verse out of Proverbs chapter 17. And uh, we, uh, of course, are uh, well uh, into or starting into at least the Christmas season. And, uh, of course, uh, one of the things that we say, in fact, it's right there on the wall. Amen. We say Merry Christmas. And uh, we say that. uh, By the way, let me just uh, encourage you a little bit. Okay. Don't, Don't say Happy Holidays. Okay, when you go out in places and you interact with people, say this, Merry Christmas, amen? (laughs) Emphasize a little bit. And uh, you know why, folks? Uh, The world's going to do what it's going to do, but we as Christians better not take Christ out of the day that's supposed to be set aside to celebrate His birth, amen? And so uh, don't be ashamed to say that. In fact, if you notice back there on the track rack, I got a couple different Christmas gospel tracks. And I encourage you throughout this season, take those uh, those uh, Christmas gospel tracks and use them. And let's get the word out, amen? And uh, let's let folks know about Christ during uh, Christmas. But we say the phrase, Merry Christmas. And uh, I don't know if you ever think about that or what that's supposed to refer to or mean. Uh, but uh, this morning, I want to I go a little bit beyond Merry Merry Christmas, and I want to talk about this. I want to talk about a merry heart, a merry heart. So if you find your place, stand with me. Proverbs chapter 15, I'm going to read verse 15, uh, then we'll read verse 13. I'm sorry, let's, let's read verse 13, then verse 15, and then Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Here's what the Bible says, Proverbs 15, 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Then verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And then over in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, uh, we see uh, the verse here. It says this, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. And God, we're thankful for uh, our church and what you're doing here, God. And thank you for everyone that, uh, Lord, you've put here in this place. And and God, we uh, come this morning to worship you, Lord, to sing your praises, to fellowship with God's people. But now, Lord, we uh, come to the most important part of the service. And Lord, that is your word. And God, I ask that you'd speak to us through it this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd be active in our midst. I pray that you'd meet the needs of the hearts here today. Now, Lord, I, I want to try to help people, but Lord, the only way I know how to truly help someone is through your word. And God, so I pray that you take the preaching of, of your word today, speak to hearts. Lord, as I pray every week, if there's someone that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that they would accept you today before it's eternally too late. Those that are saved, I pray we'd allow the word of God to change us and help us and make us what you'd have for us to be. We love you. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How to have a merry heart. You find that phrase, merry heart, three times in the book of Proverbs. That word merry, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to brighten. To brighten. And the ability to keep your heart bright. To have a gleeful, glad, joyful heart. Now it's important. And it's important because folks, the well-being that it produces within you and the ministry it offers to help influence other people. Now, folks, listen to me. If, if we as Christians uh, aren't different in some areas, why in the world would the world want what we have? Amen? 
I mean, listen, if we go around down in the, uh, down in the dumps and the molly grubs and, and you know what? I mean, it looks like our, our, uh, our dog just got killed and, you know, it looks like, uh, uh, we just, uh, you know, every morning uh, act like something's wrong. The world's about to end. You know, why would they want what we have? Amen. Now I get it, folks. Life has its struggles. Life has its heartaches. I understand that there's burdens. There's things that, that but even in the midst of all that, as Christians, we ought to have a merry heart. Now, let me, let me show you some reasons here uh, out of the, the verses I just read why we ought to have a merry heart. Then I'm going to teach you a few Bible principles about a merry heart, and I'm going to give you some practical application, all right? So why is it important to have a merry heart? Well, according to the verses we just read, we see this in verse 13, that a merry heart produces a cheerful countenance. A merry heart produces a cheerful countenance. Now, what is the countenance? The countenance is, truth be told, folks, the countenance is the part of you that shows on the outside what's on the inside. Amen? That's what the countenance is. You can't fake a countenance, all right? Uh, and, and truth be told, your countenance is directly, is directly related to what's going on on the inside. And so the Bible tells us that a merry heart will produce a cheerful countenance. What else do we see? We see this in verse 15, that a merry heart nourishes your soul nourishes your soul. Notice what the Bible says, that he does of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now, in order to understand this, you've got to understand how God made us as human beings. Now, we understand that our God is a triune being. Amen? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. You say, explain the Trinity. Well, again, folks, uh, it's one of those things that we can kind of think about a few things to explain it, but truth be told, it's one aspect of God that you've got to accept by faith. Amen? Now, there's different illustrations. In fact, if you want a really good illustration about the Trinity, go back there on the missions wall. Brother Flowers, our missionary, uh, uh, uses that when he's reaching Muslim people because that's one aspect of the Muslims that they have problems comprehending. And so Brother Flowers uh, has a wonderful illustration about the, the Trinity. It's back there on his missions letter. You say, what is it? Read it and find out. Amen? And uh, But it's a good thing uh, to uh, read and understand. So God is a Trinity, a triune being. Well, guess what? Since we as human beings are made in the image of God, we as mankind are also triune. We also, there's three parts to mankind. There is our body, all right? There is our soul. And by the way, our soul is the part of us that will live forever someplace. And then there is our spirit. Your body, of course, is, uh, is, is, is the physical part. The soul is the eternal part. And the spirit is the part of us that when we get saved, gets born again. Amen? Now, when you get saved, guess what? Your body doesn't get saved. That's why we still deal with the flesh. Your flesh is as lost as it's always going to be. Amen? All right? By the way, the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's why this body can't go to heaven. Amen? It's not made to live there because it's flesh. But you know what gets saved? Our soul is what gets saved. And when our soul gets saved, then our spirit gets made alive. Amen? Now, that's that, that in and of itself is a whole message. All right? I'm not going to go there and, and preach all that. But when the Bible says that a merry heart will nourish your soul... Your soul is also a triune being. Your soul is made up of your mind, how you think. It's made up of your heart, how you feel. And it's made up of your will, what you do. Amen? 
And so when you, as a Christian, have a merry heart, it will nourish how you think, it will nourish how you feel, and it will uh, affect what you do. Amen? And so we see that the merry heart will do that. And then else, what else do we see? Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart will improve your physical health. Again, the Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Now, folks, listen. I love when... You know, sometimes people try to uh, use science to prove the Bible. Well, you know what I like doing? Using the Bible to prove science. Amen? And it's always amazing to me when science happens to catch up with the Word of God. All right? But if you, if you study this out, it's, it's proven that laughter affects your physical health. Now, I found a lot of statistics. I don't have time to read them all, but here's just a few. It says that laughter increases heart and respiratory rates as well as ox- oxygen consumption over a short period. After these initial changes, a person moves into a state of relaxation. While these effects may not be the equivalent of aerobic exercise, as some claim, that's not to say it's entirely without benefit as a physical activity. Listen to this. You ready? 10 to 15 minutes of laughter per day can burn 10 to 40 extra calories. There you go. All right? We need that after last night, by the way. We better laugh a whole lot, okay? Uh, They tell us that laughter affects heart function. It increases stroke volume and cardiac output. It dilates blood vessels. After intense laughter, they tell us that muscles will tone. That's true, right? You ever laugh so hard your stomach hurts? I mean, come on, folks. That's physically, it's affecting you. It says laughter lowers levels of the stress, uh, of stress hormones. It raises levels of endorphins that increase human growth hormones. There's an inverse association between heart disease and, and propensity to laugh. Laughing more means this, lower heart attack risk. A 2018 study found that laughter therapy effectively delays cardiovascular complications of type 2 diabetes. And on and on, the medical benefits of that, that laughter provides. Now, now listen, folks, that's a Bible principle, by the way, okay? And the Bible says that the, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I don't believe preaching ought to be a comedy show, okay? I believe preaching ought to be preaching. But you know what? From time to time, there'll be some things in there that'll get you laughing a little bit. By the way, that's biblical, amen? And that's what the Bible says because it will do good like a medicine. So, folks, I'm going to tell you, it's important for us as Christians for us to have a merry heart. Now, the devil knows that. Okay? He understands what the Bible has to say about it. So guess what there are, okay? Surprise, surprise. There's oppositions or barriers to a merry heart. There's negatives that can prevent Christians from from developing this. And again, those are found in those verses we just read. Notice what it says in verse 15. All the days of the afflicted are evil. You know the affliction of the mind can be a barrier to a merry heart. If it's not cared for, think about this, it can open up a satanic door that will invite evil into every day of your life. That word afflicted is a very important word. It means depressed in mind or circumstances. It's a condition of the mind brought about by unbiblical thinking patterns. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Don't tell me you can't help what you think about. Amen? The Bible tells us we can, we can control what we think about. And when we mentally focus 
on negativity, then we produce affliction of mind. By the way, this is very dangerous. Because you know what it will do? It will literally begin to affect your heart. Again, what is your heart uh, according to the Bible? It's not the, necessarily the muscle beating in your chest. It's your mind, it's your will, and it's your emotions. So think about this for a minute. It means this. When you, what you think about affects how you feel, and what you think about and how you feel influences your decisions. Amen? Now listen, folks, I'm not a psychologist, okay? I'm not here to te- teach you psychology this morning, but I'm here to give you biblical principles that will help you, amen? And by the way, you'd be surprised, as a Christian, if you'll just get in the book and apply the book, how it will affect every aspect of your life. That's why the Bible says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, that's pretty much anything right and wholesome, okay? That's what the Bible says. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Amen? Listen, folks, control your thinking. Now, the devil is a master at attacking our minds. He's a master at it. That's why God's given us protection for that. We studied that in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the helmet of salvation. And yes, that does refer to the salvation of our soul, no doubt, but it also refers to that part of us that needs to be protected, and that's our mind. Amen? So affliction of the mind will uh, keep you from having a merry heart. How about this? Verse 13, the Bible says that, "...but by sorrow of the heart..." The spirit is broken. And what else can hinder that? Exactly what it says there, sorrow of the heart. That word sorrow, it comes from the same word that produces the word idol in the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Here's what happens, folks. uh, A circumstance will come into someone's life that will cause great sorrow and grief. It wounds. It causes pain. And listen to me, it's not even something that's easy to get over. And you know what? If we don't deal with it properly, you know what it has the potential of doing? Breaking our spirit and crippling us from being effective for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's what the devil wants these horrible circumstances that everybody faces to do in your life. Now listen, when when that happens, and by the way, it's going to happen. You know why it's going to happen? Because we live on a sin-cursed earth. By the way, What's going on on this earth isn't God's fault. God, hey, by the way, think about what God did for us. He started us out with, with, a, with a perfect environment. Amen? That was God's intention, that man lived perfectly in a perfect environment. Guess who messed it up? By the way, it wasn't the serpent either. You know what? It was our us, humankind, mankind. You want to know why we had the problems we're in today? Because of us. Amen? Because God created us with free will. And with our free will, we chose. You say, well, I didn't choose it. Let me just say this. If we were in the garden, we would have done the same thing. We probably would have messed it up even worse. Okay? So let's not start playing that high and mighty pious game. Okay? We as human beings are all made out of the same things. All right? And truth be told, we messed it up. And because of mankind's uh, choice to sin, we have the evil and, and the heartache and the sorrow we have today. All right, now, so it's not a matter of if sorrow comes, it's a matter of when sorrow comes. Now listen, when you're going through that, then you know what, you've got to determine as a Christian, you're going to handle it properly, okay? Because, let me tell you what a lot of people do, they will take a bad circumstance and make an idol out of it. 
And you know what? They refuse to get over it because they want to hold on to the bitterness. They want to hold on to the pain. And truth be told, you know what they're doing? They're, they're, they're causing sorrow in their heart, and it keeps them from having a merry heart. And so the difference is this. By the way, you know what? I've seen it go both directions. I've seen people who's faced tragedy, faced heartache, faced sorrow, and you know what? Through the help of God, they, 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 they used the, the Word of God and the comfort of the Spirit of God, and they got through that, okay? And they did not make an idol out of it. They refused to make an idol out of something sorrowful. But I've also seen, on the other hand, some people who won't get past it, won't let God help them through it, and they insist on making an idol out of it. You know what? That happens, folks. And truth be told, if we're not careful, it can happen in our life. Sorrow of the heart for some people become a little G-God. Something that, you know what? They bow down to. They protect it. And sad, sad to say, they even worship it. And you know what? Truth be told is this. It seems like, especially in our culture, the average person has more of a desire to be a victim than a victor. And you know what? Our culture has conditioned people to have a victim's mentality. Everybody's a victim of something. That's what this whole garbage is about this critical race theory that they're trying to uh, cram down the throats in our public. Preacher, you're getting political. You better bet I am. Amen? Somebody needs to stand up against this stuff because it's wicked as hell is what it is. Let me tell you, we don't need to be victims. We need to be victors. Amen? And there's some people who build their entire identity around a tragedy and they forever cling to it. In their minds, it becomes necessary and needed because it provides sympathy and attention they crave. It also produces a lifelong excuse for not becoming all they should be for Jesus Christ. Hey, you know what? Time to break down the idols. Amen? Time to break them down. Again, what's an idol? Anything that becomes more important to us than God. Let me tell you how we can break those idols down. Allow God to heal a broken heart. By the way, you know what? We're not the first ones with a broken heart. We won't be the last. It's part of living on this planet. Listen to this verse, Isaiah chapter 61. The Bible says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord, by the way, this is Jesus, a prophecy about Him, amen? And when He went into that Jewish temple, He stood up and read this passage because it's a prophecy about who He is. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He hath sent me, listen to this, to bind up the brokenhearted. You know God's goal is to help and heal us so that we can be a tree of righteousness producing fruit for Him so that He can receive glory from our life, the glory that He deserves. Now listen to me, that's what God wants. Is that what we want? Or do we want to hang on to that thing that's become an idol? So sorrow of the heart can keep us from having a merry heart. And then what else do we see? We see this, a brokenness of spirit. Notice what it says, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Here's what happens, folks. If we refuse to change our unbiblical thought patterns and insist on clinging onto the idol of sorrow, then eventually, you know what's going to happen? These things will break our spirit. Let me tell you what a broken spirit will do. It will destroy your physical health. By the way, this goes against everything God wants for our life. You know what God's will for us to do, according to that verse in Proverbs, is to become a tree of righteousness bearing fruit that will bring honor and glory to Him. Amen? I'm going to tell you, if, if we don't deal with this, then it can break the spirit. A man's spirit, of course, is that part of him that's reborn when he receives Christ as Savior. Your spirit, hey, listen to this, is that part of us that communicates with God. 
What's the Bible say? That the Father seeketh for those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Okay? And that's the part that allows us to have a relationship with God is our spirit. So why would it surprise us that the devil would want us to have a broken spirit? By the way, you know what that's talking about? It's talking about a warped view about who God is. A warped view of what God wants. So many people, I mean, I I can't believe how many people I meet that that they literally have a warped view of God. By the way, it's a God that's remade into their image. A God remade into the image Satan wants for them to have and not a biblical view of God. Amen? Listen to me, folks. Here's a biblical view of God. God loves you. We sang about it this morning, Brother David and his family, how that uh, God cares for us and He's been good to us. That's a biblical view of God. Unbiblical view of God. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't know I exist. God, uh, God hasn't been good to me. That is not a biblical view of God. It's a warped view of God. And truth be told, that kind of view of God will break your spirit. It will break. Now, I'm not talking about losing salvation, but let me tell you, folks, you can still be saved and be a pretty miserable person on this planet. You don't have to be, you shouldn't be, but you can be. Amen? And so the secret to all of this, or should I shouldn't say secret, but the Bible principles to this, is a merry heart. Amen? Is a merry heart. So here you go. Here's the message this morning. You ready for it? How to have a merry heart. We're going to go around saying Merry Christmas to people. We're going to go around singing about it. We're going to be thinking about it. And uh, again, we'll say it, but truth be told, is it something we're just paying lip service to or is it an overflow from what's on the inside? So let me give you some things this morning that will help you. How to have a merry heart. Number one, first first and foremost is this, make sure your heart is clean. Make sure your heart is clean. Amen? What do I mean by that? Take your Bible. Flip over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Got a little bit of back feed here going on with this microphone. I don't know if it's the way I'm moving or something. Amen? I do get a little excited when I preach and move around a little bit. So uh, uh, 1 John chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says here beginning in verse 7. Verse 7. Says this, but if we, amen, by the way, you know what that is? But if we, that is something that we as Christians have to make a decision to do. But if we, amen, you must take your free will and exercise your free will to do something. And here it is. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Amen? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to, here's the word again, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Now, folks, how do you have a clean heart? Okay? Well, you have a clean heart, first of all, by realizing your heart's dirty. Amen? Your heart's dirty. And you know what, what, what dirties our heart? Sin dirties our heart. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know about y'all. I remember what it was like carrying around the burden of my sin. I remember that. I remember even as a child, the, the weight of the sin that was upon me. And you know, to me, one of the greatest ways I realized that, sometimes, by the way, you get used to something. You don't even realize how heavy something becomes until you don't have it anymore. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I was carrying that around. And the first way to have a heart clean, of course, is that through salvation. Amen? 
By the way, why in the world, as, as a human being, knowing that there's a payment for sin, why would you want to carry that burden around with you? Amen? Why would you want to carry that around? Folks, listen to me. Jesus Christ come so that He could give us life and give us life more abundantly and to wash us from all our sin. We read about, I think I talked about it Thursday night. We read it here in this verse. I love the song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? And listen, you ain't going to have a merry heart if you don't have a clean heart. So you need to get saved if you're not saved. Amen? By the way, i got good news for you. If you're not saved, you can get saved today. Amen? You can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And by the way, you're not here by accident today. You're here because God allowed you to be here. And if you don't know for sure you're on your way to heaven, you need to get it settled today. Amen? In fact, you don't even have to wait to the invitation. You want to get saved right now? The Holy Spirit of God's working on you. You come right now and I'll get someone to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Amen? Listen to me. I wouldn't put that off. So you're never going to have a merry heart unless your heart's clean. Obviously, it gets cleaned at salvation, but then there's another process of the Christian life. I've talked about it before. It's called sanctification. Amen? Now, when you get saved, God washes away your sins. He buries them in the deepest sea. Amen? He removes them as far as the east is from the west. I'm thankful for that. But you know what? As a Christian, we can still, just because you get saved, don't mean you still don't have your sin nature. Amen? Now, you got the newborn spirit in you. It can't sin, but the flesh can still sin. Okay, in fact, when the Bible says that which, born of, that which is born of God cannot sin, not talking about the flesh, he's talking about the spirit. Amen? So now guess what happens? Now you've got a battle going on inside. You've got the spirit battling the flesh. And I don't know how y'all think this Christian life works. I, I face that battle daily. Because let me tell you something, folks. The spirit is at war with the flesh, and the flesh is at war with the spirit. And you know what? We've got to decide who we're going to yield to, who we're going to listen to. Like the old story of a of an Indian chief that got saved and and the missionary led him to Christ and and uh, discipled him a little bit. Came back a few months later and asked the chief, Chief, how's your Christian life going? He described it like this. He says, Well, missionary, I feel like I got a war going inside of me. I got a white dog fighting a black dog. And he says, Well, which one wins? Here's what the here's what the Indian said: The one I feed the most. I'm gonna tell you. You know why sometimes we're not the, living the victorious Christian life? Cause we're feeding the flesh. That's why. Amen. Now listen to me, folks. We have to deal with this in life. And God, the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. Amen? And, to, and to, to live the way He would have for us to live. To be, as the Bible says, Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Okay? Now, how do we do that? It's called sanctification. It means that we, in our Christian life, to the best of our ability, according to the Word of God, live a life that pleases Him. That means we don't do certain things because we're Christians. Amen? means we don't go certain places because we're Christians. We don't say certain things because we're Christians, all right? And folks, let me tell you, when you, when you got, allow God to work through you, by the way, we're not talking about perfection. You'll never be perfect until we open our eyes in His presence, amen? But you know what? The standard isn't perfection, but the standard is sanctification. And God wants for us to be sanctified. Here's what this means in very simple terms. We ought to be better for God today than we were yesterday. You know, we ought to be a stronger Christian this year than we were last year at this time. Okay? It's called growth. It's called being clean. I'm going to tell you something, folks. When you live a life that way, I mean, there's nothing like... I remember a time in my life, I told you about the day I got saved when I was nine years old. I remember the burden being lifted. I also remember times in my teenage years where I was away from God. I was backslidden. I was doing things I shouldn't be doing, and God would work on my heart about that. And I remember a lot of times going to an old-fashioned altar at the end of a service and, and, and going to that altar and confessing my sin and getting right. And I remember the feeling of cleansing inside. Now, I didn't get saved again, but it kind of felt like it, amen? 
You know why? Because I, I confessed that sin to God. I got right. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like how you feel the first five minutes you get out of a scalding hot shower. You know how clean your body feels? I mean, that's why I got to take a shower before I go to bed. I can't go to bed dirty. Amen? I, sometimes I take two or three showers a day, best of what I'm doing, because I have to take a shower right before I go to bed because I got to go to bed feeling clean. And I love that feeling physically. How much more is it even better spiritually? Amen? Amen. Listen to me. As Christians, God made provision. It's called confession. All right? Are you carrying around sin in your life, Christian? Are there things the Holy Spirit's been working on you about and you refuse to uh, yield to Him over? Hey, listen. Confess it to God. Get it right. Amen? It's called sanctification. Let me tell you, you'll never have a merry heart unless your heart is clean. Second of all, let me give you some other things here. Learn to see the humor in all of life's situations. Learn to see the humor in all of life's situations. Here's what the Bible says, Philippians 4.4, very famous verse, a passage of Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Amen? The president of my Bible college that I attended, he used to say this. Some of you are taking life way too seriously. Stop it! You're not going to get out of it alive anyway, right? You know what he was trying to do? He's trying to teach us to develop a sense of humor. You know what he knew? He knew that uh, preachers would need that in the ministry. Because when things go crazy, things go out of control, you've got a choice to make. You can either lose it or you can laugh. Amen? And sometimes, folks, I'll be, I'll be carrying a burden, and all of a sudden I'll just start laughing out loud. And it's like, why are you doing that? Because I'm crazy. That's why. Amen? <laughs> no! You know what? I, let's laugh about it. Quit taking everything so serious. I mean, folks, listen, you will help yourself if you learn to see humor in all of life's situations. I mean, listen, you know what? Uh, if, you're, if you're going somewhere and you trip and fall and, you know, you make a mess of something, I mean, you can lay on the ground and, you know, be all embarrassed and be mad if anybody laughs about it. Or you can just laugh at yourself. Amen? I was t- telling you last night about Brother Frost, and, and I've, I've known him for about four years, and, and the relationship that, that we, we, be, we begin to develop a little bit. And uh, I, I knew I liked him just because of our personalities, but I also liked him because uh, uh, when, when my wife introduced me, or I, we were, our wives met each other, his wife insulted me. Amen? And I'm like, that's great, because that's what I would do, right? And I said something about my wife. I'm like, yeah, she helps me a lot. And she's like, yeah, you really need a lot of help. I'm like, you're right, I do need a lot of help. Amen? Listen, now, if I could have gotten mad about that. Oh, do you know who I am? I am the pastor of this church. How dare you say that about me? And you know what? As, as ridiculous as that sounds, some people are that uptight. Okay? Quit it, folks. Listen to me. Learn to see the humor in all life situations. How about this? This is good. Learn to use humor as a way of ministering to others. Now, listen, I understand there's a balance. In fact, let me read the verse to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4. The Bible says this. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Now, I understand this, folks. Listen to me, okay? There, the key word to all this is the word balance. Okay? you got to know what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Okay, for example, all right, I preach funerals for people. When I preach a funeral, I'm not going in there to laugh about stuff. Okay? Now, sometimes the family wants me to tell stories, and I'll tell a story, and everybody will laugh because it was about that person, and that's appropriate, okay? But all I'm saying is this, you know one of the neat things that God allows us to do, and I'm not just talking about preachers here, I'm talking about all of us as individually, uh, as we, God used us to work on other people, you know what you find out? People will naturally gravitate to someone who enjoys life. 
You realize that? One of the reasons that we need to be on the victory side is so it will help us influence more people for Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can do it better with the grin than with the growl. Amen? I mean, listen, folks, when we go in places and we go in public, people ought to just be able to look at us and know something's different. And you know how? Because there is joy in our heart that overflows to our face. Amen? I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Really? Tell your face that. Amen? Okay? Hey, listen to me, folks. Choose happy. Choose happy. All right? Now, again, I'm talking about not talking about uh, being inappropriate, but let me tell you, what a way that God can use that to minister to people. That's why I love our gospel tracks that we use. we got the black ones and the white ones back there. Why? Because we're not prejudiced. That's why. Amen? All right? But no, we got, we got them that had the smile face on them. And I love that gospel track. It says five reasons to smile. And a lot of times when I'll go out in places and I'll talk to people at the gas station or wherever, I'll say, hey, let, let, let me give you a smile today. And I'll get, and by the way, when you look at that, that, that that's going to catch your attention. Now, maybe as soon as they open it and see a Bible verse, they'll crumple it up. But at least they're going to open it because it's attention getting. And you know why? Because it has to do with a smile. Amen? So use humor as a way of ministering to other people. Number four, how about this? Learn to use humor to amuse and not abuse. By the way, again, and this is where I was talking about as far as uh, being uh, appropriate with things. You know what proper humor does? It doesn't put people down. It lifts them up. And again, folks, some people get this way out of balance. And I'm going to tell you, for, for one thing, the world sure does. Amen? But listen, use that to amuse, not abuse, okay? Don't ever do something to put somebody down. If you see somebody is uh, uh, not uh, taking the, the humor well, just leave them alone, okay? Quit pounding on them, all right? Learn to uh, amuse and not abuse. How about this, number five? Learn to laugh at yourself. Just learn to laugh at yourself. You might as well. Most people are, right? <laughs> hey, lose the chip on your shoulder. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor, I did the thing that no youth pastor should ever do. I fell asleep on the bus full of teenagers, all right? Not a good thing. Not a good thing. And um, now, fortunately, I'm a light enough sleeper to where they didn't draw me with a marker or anything. But a couple weeks later, uh, uh, I I come to school uh, there at the Christian school, and there was a big poster and on that poster was me slumped against the window sleeping and some stupid caption underneath. I don't remember what it said. All right? Now listen to me again. You know, am I going to get mad at the teenagers for doing that? No, I'm going to laugh about it. I'm going to think it's funny. I'm going to think it's hilarious. Why? Because it, it, it's true. It was, it was my own fault. I shouldn't have fell asleep on a bus full of... I fell asleep when I was taking teenagers somewhere on a bus, right? Just learn to laugh at yourself. Amen? Uh, I think it'd be okay, Miss Debbie, if I tell the story when Joe came here for the first time. <laughs> Miss Miss uh, uh, Debbie's husband, Joe, uh, he uh, he was in the hospital. I went and saw Joe, and uh, he told Mary, he said, hey, I want to go to that church. And uh, the first time he came here, and uh, rest his soul, amen, he came in, and he'd been losing a lot of weight because of his cancer, and uh, his, his drawers dropped down. <laughs> And he, uh, he's, uh, he, uh, he could have been, and I'm sure he probably was embarrassed, but you know what Joe did? He picked his pants up, came in, sat down, enjoyed the service. Amen? <laughs> and so, you know what? I mean, hey, that could have been a situation that would have totally embarrassed somebody, and they'd run out the door screaming and never come back. You know what? But Joe knew what that was about, didn't he? And he knew how to do that. And so, uh, folks, listen to me. 
He did. You're right. Exactly right. <laughs> you know why? Because he, he learned to laugh a little bit. Learned to laugh at himself a little bit. So, folks, listen to me, all right? Lesson from that, wear a belt. Amen. Number one, okay? <laughs> Number two, God forbid something like that would happen. Just laugh, all right? It'd be okay, all right? <laughs> Number six, let me close out with this one, all right? This is good, too. Learn to discern between holy humor and perverse humor. The Bible says this in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Unto the pure... All things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now, folks, listen. The world will take humor, and I'll tell you this. You can't even watch the world's version of comedy. It's wicked as hell. Amen? You know why? Because they're perverse with it, and they're blasphemous with it. All right? Now, folks, listen. Don't mimic the heathen when it comes to humor. Okay? By the way, what they're joking about and making laughs about, I don't think is funny one bit. And by the way, there's just certain things as Christians, we don't even need to go there. Okay, I've said this before, let me say it again, all right? I think this is good for all of us to hear. Okay, but what, and I don't think this is necessarily just in the church house, but when you're around other people, don't talk about things that happen in the bathroom and things that happen in the bedroom. You don't need to be talking about that kind of stuff. Inappropriate. Amen? I don't want to hear it at the church house. Okay, and I don't want to hear it around anybody, amen? There's just certain things that don't need to be joked about, don't need to be laughed about, okay? Let's discern between holy humor and perverse humor. Now, I've, i tell you who I feel sorry for. I feel sorry for Christians who don't have a merry heart. You know why? Because they're robbing themselves and others around them from experiencing the Christian life the way God intended for it to be lived. God wants us as Christians to enjoy life. Now again, we got the burdens, we got the heartaches, we got the sorrows, we got the tears, we got all that stuff. But in the midst of all that, you know what? We can have a merry heart, enjoy life, and in doing so, point people to Jesus Christ. Amen? And so how about it? Merry Christmas. Let's not just have a merry Christmas. Let's have a merry heart. Let's